Good morning. He is risen. So what happens when a man who happens to be an atheist, he's also a forensic detective specializing in cold cases, goes to Calvary to find out, did this thing really happen or did it not? That was exactly what one man decided to do named J. Warner Wallace. And he became intrigued with the Gospels and, and other accounts of Jesus' resurrection because according to him, the most important question I could ask about Christianity just so happened to fall within my area of expertise. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And it proved to be the ultimate cold case forensic investigation because there were eyewitnesses. There was material evidence that could be used to prove or disprove what has been going on for nearly 2,000 years. And as an atheist, he always assumed the resurrection was just a big lie. He said this, he said that he was believing that the 12 apostles concocted, executed, and maintained the most elaborate and influential conspiracy of all time. And when he looked at the evidence as an unbeliever, he found that he could substantiate four facts, both from those who were friendly and believed in Christianity, as well as those who were enemies of Christianity. And he said, these four things you could put together. One, you could verify Jesus died on the cross and was buried. Nobody had any doubts about that. And secondly, Jesus' tomb was empty and no one ever produced his body. And then three, that Jesus' disciples believed that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. They believed they saw him. He wasn't willing to say that it was actually him, but that they did believe it. And then number four, that Jesus' disciples were transformed following their alleged resurrection observations. He's saying, well, for some reason they acted like different people after this resurrection thing happened. So he started using his reasoning, and he came up with some what he called um, reasonable explanations, some hypotheses over how this could be the case. He came up with five. First of all, he said, well, the disciples were mistaken about Jesus' death. He said Jesus survived his crucifixion and, and the, the, appeared to disciples after he recovered. But there's some problems with that, he discovered. It fails to explain what the disciples saw when they brought Jesus down from the cross. Didn't they, you know, check if he was breathing? I mean, surely they knew what a, a dead body was like. So another hypothesis, that the disciples stole the body and fabricated the whole story of the resurrection. Well, that would explain the empty tomb. But it fails to account for these transformed lives of the apostles. Remember, these guys, they went from being scaredy cats of this whole Christianity thing, worried about how it was going to go, to men who were willing to go and die for the resurrection. They believed it so much they went to other countries and, and they gave their lives dying to proclaim the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. So that was a problem. Well, third, maybe the disciples were just delusional, but... That fails to account for the empty tomb. He'd also never seen uh, large groups that had encountered hallucinations. Well, number four, maybe, maybe it was an imposter who just tricked the disciples. Somebody pretending to be Jesus. Well, that would, account, that would not account for the empty tomb, and then it required an impersonator. I think the disciples would have been highly skeptical of someone. He had to look just like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus. 
He also needed miraculous powers. And then there was five, that the resurrection is a wildly exaggerated legend. It grew exponentially over time. It gained more and more traction. But that theory clashes with the hundreds of eyewitnesses that actually saw Jesus walking around after he was crucified and died. He ran out of theories. So what's your theory? What do you believe happened? What I want to take some time to talk about this morning is how should I respond to the empty tomb? He didn't deny as an atheist, that there was a tomb that was empty, that had once been full. A passage I want to read to you this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. I want to read from John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. By the way, this is a lengthy passage. If you like sitting down, no problems. Starting at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You may be seated. Again, happy Easter. We are so glad that you came here today to worship with us and to visit with us on this very special day. We worship Jesus Christ who is not far off. He came to humanity. He joined us here in our chaos. As a matter of fact, we've been calling this series Christ 
in the chaos. It culminates today with his resurrection. God became human. He died for our sins. He was put into a tomb. And then this tomb was found empty. And this morning, I want to take a close look at these responses Christ's followers had to the empty tomb. First, we'll see the disciples. They believed to understand. Then we see Mary, who sought out Jesus and then believed. And then finally, how should we respond to the empty tomb? I want to suggest three responses to this empty tomb. I want to start with these disciples. What's going on here? Because it's a morning like no other. It's a morning where history would shift. And having gone through the events of the crucifixion, Christ's followers were traumatized. They had seen their Lord, the one they'd been following, gorily hung on a cross, murdered, dead, put into a tomb. And yet they just can't leave Christ alone. Jesus died on a Friday. Saturday would have been the Sabbath. On Sunday morning, one of the boldest of Christ's followers, a woman named Mary Magdalene, shows up. She'd been with Christ some time. He had expelled demons from her. And in John 19, we're told that she even stood by the cross while Jesus was being crucified. Then approaching the tomb while it was still dark, she discovered the tomb was open. It probably would have looked something like this. This isn't the the exact tomb, but a large round stone that was open. And you can imagine approaching at nighttime and seeing this dark opening. That would have been sufficient enough to have alarmed her that the door was open. To just turn around and leave. So she sees that Jesus isn't there. She turns and runs to tell Peter and this other disciple, in all likelihood the other disciple is the author of uh, this gospel, John. And um, she, she tells him what's going on. She says, they have taken him. She also said in verse 2 that we don't know where they've laid him. So other women, other gospels record other women that were with Mary Magdalene when she comes to the open tomb. And then things get very, very detailed as to what they see. The story kind of slows down. They look inside. John, the other disciple, gets there first, looks in, sees burial clothes, but doesn't go in. Peter arrives. He actually enters the tomb. He sees the burial clothes lying there. The, strangely, the face cloth is described as being folded up and, and put neatly over to the side. And we're talking about a very neat and orderly scene. It's, it's strange, not chaotic. It's not as though someone had just barged in and attempted to steal Jesus' body and just threw things to the side. That's not what we see here. And if there was an initial concern about there being grave robbers, which was common at this time, those fears seem to be unfounded in what it is they see when they come across this scene. So then what happens? Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. So what did this disciple believe? He didn't just believe Mary's account. Mary had came and told him what was going on. He believed something beyond that, that Jesus was gone from the tomb, and, and he got it. 
that Jesus got up and, and walked on out of there. Because the text is clear there in verse 9, though, they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So he gets part of it, but he doesn't get all of it. Now, this is important. This reminds me of something that was written by an old Christian guy around the 11th century, a man by the name of Anselm. And he was one of the greatest thinkers in church history. He was called one of the doctors of the church, as a matter of fact. Uh, wrote a lot of important theological texts, had a lot of brilliant ideas. But he had a motto that kind of sums up this moment and what's going on. He said this, handsome man, fides quorens intellectum. Now, what does that mean? It means faith-seeking understanding. Okay. Sounds nice, kind of pious, but what does that mean? And, and frankly, what even, what's it matter? It means that faith comes before understanding. That we don't have to understand God in His entirety in order to have faith in the events that are transpiring here. Faith comes first, and it leads to a deeper understanding. We see this clearly in the Easter season when Peter and John go to the tomb. They find it's empty. They don't understand everything that's going on here. They don't understand the depths of importance to this event that has just transpired. They don't fully get it. The Scriptures say they saw and they believed. Their lack of understanding did not keep them from having faith. It led them to greater understanding in the days and the weeks that came after. And, and this is just the way life works. You know this in your daily experience. Think about the first time you got onto an airplane. Do you know how airplanes work? I spent years working on planes. I still don't really get how they work. But you believed. You got on the plane. You flew. It works this way all through. It's the same with a car, same with a person, same with a marriage. You believe something about this person. In the long term, it may or may not prove to be true, but it was faith. You can believe that Jesus has risen and that he is alive. And then what happens? It's strange. The text tells us that these guys just go home. They just go home. But not everybody just goes home. As a matter of fact, they're going to miss the best part. Because look at what happens next, starting at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Mary was different. When these other guys just went home, she stayed. She kept seeking. She wasn't satisfied yet. She's seeking to believe. But Mary, in a highly, she lived in a highly chauvinistic, male-dominated culture. And she is given a very special honor in what it is that's happening here. She takes another look into the tomb. And seated where Christ had been laying are two angels. Now, these angels had not revealed themselves to the men. Peter walked into the tomb. Well, he didn't see any angels. You know, they turn around, they go back home. This is the only place in the Bible, by the way, where angels are described as sitting. 
just hanging out. The angels inquire to the reason she's crying. And Mary answered them in verse 13. She said, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And, and now when you step back, Mary really hasn't even had a chance to process what's happening here. I mean, if you're crying out loud, the tomb was empty. Now there's two men in there. And, uh, and they start asking her questions. It's, you kind of think she may say, and who are you again? I, you know, you kind of weren't here just a few moments ago. And now you're here, kind of like to get some sense of who you are. And then no sooner does she answer, she turns around and her questions, it turns out, was just null and void. Because who's standing right behind her? It's Christ himself standing behind her. And she's probably, she didn't seem to recognize him. She's probably half hysterical, not to mention the state that she saw Christ in, in that gory, bloody state, having just been put into the tomb, wondering who this man is. And look at his response in verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking, supposing him to be the gardener? She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Think about Mary. Would you people ask me to stop asking me to stop crying or why I'm crying? I've told you, but the fact that Jesus has now first appeared to a woman, is significant. By the way, it's a mark of the story's authenticity because a woman's testimony at that time was not accepted. And had he made the story up, he would not have had a woman that appeared first at the tomb. No Jewish author would have done that, especially with a woman as the first witness to this most important event. So Mary thinks Jesus is some kind of grave robber, but then there's this wonderful acknowledgement. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And all of a sudden, it all shifts. It all changes. Everything turns in a moment. Where there was anguish and where there was despair, now there is happiness. There is delight. Christ is alive. Jesus, the good shepherd, called one of his sheep by name, and then she recognized him. She doesn't get the whole picture fully either, but she's thrilled in this moment to know that she sees Jesus. Jesus has an interesting response. She attempts to embrace Jesus, and look at how he responds to her. Instead, of, instead, Mary hears the voice of Jesus saying this, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This response is very important to understand. The explanation seems to be that Mary was hanging on and holding on to Jesus as to never let him go. As one writer put, she's trying to recapture the past and she grabs him as her own, never ever wanting to lose him again. But it was not a time for an embrace like this. He's going to be departing shortly. This was Jesus' way of saying, look, Mary, don't expect things to be like they were before. Someday there's going to be a heavenly reunion, but that day is not today. Instead, he tells her, go, 
and gives the, and give the best news she could have given anyone in verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what Jesus had said to her. Mary's seeking has paid off. She was desperate to find her Lord. Who are you seeking? And where are you trying to find ultimate satisfaction? There was a British journalist named Malcolm Muggeridge. And he was talking about how God has made us with the desires he intends us to have. He said, God made our fantasies. And so preposterously unrewarding that we are forced to turn to him for help and for mercy. We seek wealth and we find accumulated worthless pieces of paper. We find security and we've acquired the means to blow ourselves and our little earth to smithereens. The point he's making is that only God, only the one who made us, knows how to satisfy us. Mary would not quit, quit seeking until she found Christ. And only God can supply the kind of joy we're looking for. Mary found that. So we see these disciples. They saw the empty tomb, and John believed. Then we saw Mary, who would not stop seeking until she found Christ, and he revealed himself to her. So now the question comes to you. How will you respond to this empty tomb? I'm going to suggest three actions for you to take. First of all, seek. Seek him, seek Jesus. Now here you are. It's Easter. It's Sunday. Here you are, but why are you here? could be a number of reasons. Maybe you came a little reluctantly, someone brought you, or maybe because it's Sunday or because it's Easter Sunday, but I hope there's someone here today who's looking for an answer. Or you're looking for a person who has the answers. There's this quote, again, from an old, old Christian. I like to go to these old, old Christians. They knew their stuff. His name was Augustine. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There is no other way you'll ever find fulfillment except in Jesus Christ. Do you have a restless heart? Do you have a restless heart that's seeking? That brings us to number two, find. Find him. Don't stop seeking till you find him. You saw this in Mary. She looked. She found him. She found joy. And if you're looking for Jesus, you will find Jesus. As a matter of fact, you've seen him in his word already. You saw him there with Mary. He appeared to his disciples. He would appear to over 500 people after he had died and was resurrected. And now he's in heaven with the Father. But we're still proclaiming him until he comes back. And those who seek him, he has promised, if you seek me, You will find me. And then finally, believe. Believe. How much faith does it take? Faith is simply believing something to be true. It's trust. You trusted that chair today when you came and you sat down and I watched. Nobody checked that chair today to make sure it wasn't sabotaged. You trusted it. You believed it would hold you up. 
I used to work at a seminary where that's where pastors, we go there, we get trained, and a lady called one day. Often you would get some really interesting, it was fascinating when you get phone calls working at a seminary, some questions people had. And a lady called one day, and she had a very, very good question, one of the greatest questions of all time. She said, she said this, I want to know if I'm going to heaven. It's a great question. I started asking her some questions. I asked her, I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ was fully God? She said, yes. I said, do you understand that you're a sinner, that you've done things that displease God? She said, yes. I said, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? She said, yes. I said, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? She said, yes. Then she was actually getting a little frustrated at this point. And then she asked another great question. But how much do I have to believe those things? And I thought, okay. I said, whatever the teeniest amount of faith is, Whatever that is, the minutest, smallest amount of faith, that's all you need. That's it. The Bible calls it a mustard seed of faith. Actually, that's not what the Bible says with a mustard seed of faith, you can move mountains. We're just talking about simple saving faith. It is tiny, it is small. I think it takes much more faith to live in a life trying to understand that where God does not exist than one who does. If you have that mustard seed of faith, you can put it in, in Christ. The question I have for you today, is there anything keeping you from trusting in Jesus Christ right now? This could be a very crucial moment for you. If you've been given the truth of the gospel today from the Word of God about what you must believe in order to be saved. It does not matter how many sins you've committed. It doesn't matter what is in your past. You can receive forgiveness for those sins right here and right now. Jesus died for every single one of them. I'd like to take a moment now and ask each of you, if you would, just to please bow your head and close your eyes. And please hear what I'm saying. Prayer is the way you tell God that you are now trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you are willing, I would ask you to pray a prayer something like this. If you're willing today to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can pray something along these lines. Dear God, I come to you now. I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died for me and arose. Right now, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I now have. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, if you would please, just for one more moment, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to just ask one more question. If you put your faith in Christ today, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's saying anything. 
Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. And Lord, we thank you so much for the promises that you've given us in your word, that we put our faith in you. It does not go away. Lord, I pray that we would continue seeking and finding and seeking you more and more, Jesus, that our faith would grow and that you would grow us into your disciples. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In the book of John, chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus himself says, I tell you the solemn truth. The one who hears my message and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. If I were going to sum up what I would ask you to do after hearing this sermon, it would simply, simply be place all your trust in the resurrected Christ. I want to turn back just for one moment in closing to our friend that I had brought up in the beginning, Mr. Wallace, the investigator, the atheist, who came up with all those theories about whether or not Jesus really was who he says he was. He came to this conclusion, the resurrection is reasonable. The answers are available. You don't have to turn off your brain to be a believer. And he joins a long line of intellectuals who went out to investigate this resurrection, who ended up believing after having set out to disprove. I thank you all today, those of you who put your faith in Christ. I ask that you would come back next Sunday and keep coming back. There are other Bible-believing churches both here in Sheridan as well, and maybe if you're here from out of town, find one in your town to attend as well. Let me say one more word of prayer. Almighty God, we thank you that you are here with us today. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the resurrected one, seated at the right hand of the Father. And someday, Lord Jesus, you will come back and you will take your sons and daughters, those who have believed in you, back to be with you where you are. Until that day, let us keep following you and tell others the good news. It's in your name we pray. Amen.